Go ahead and grab out your Bibles, though. Something to take some notes with. If you absolutely hate notes, grab out something just to jot some things down on and we will get started today. We're in part three of our series called Finding Center. And let me just start it with a question. I try to do this most of the time. Let me just ask you a question. Does anybody know anyone? Not you. Does anyone know anybody else who is a little bit angry right now? Anybody know? Just a show of hands. Nobody? Nobody knows any? Anybody know anybody angry at you right now? Anybody have someone angry? Maybe you're, if you don't know anybody angry, then I would just like to commend you because it means you have been living under a rock for the last few years. You have not been on social media. You gave it up completely in your life. You've not been on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or anywhere else for the past two or three years. Anybody, you feel a little bit angry. You've got a little bit of agitation or maybe you see yourself getting more angry than you used to. Anybody in that I don't know, I'm just preaching to nobody today. That's just great. All, all six of us are angry. What do we do with feelings of anger? What do we do when we have these emotions? In this series, we've been looking at the emotions of Jesus. We're studying what Jesus did when these emotions would arise. And we've been looking at them from, I told you, if we're going to do a series like this, we're going to do it through a gospel lens. We're going to look at the emotions of Jesus. And you often think of Jesus, you think of him as compassionate and loving and full of grace and full of mercy. Jesus also got angry, everybody. He also got angry. But when he did, he got angry in a way that honored God. And so week number one, we looked at compassion and grief. Last week, we dove into anxiety. This week, I want to look at this very real and complex emotion of anger. And full disclosure, this message is a little bit risky. It's risky because I might make some of you angry at me. Come on, somebody. It just might be like you might just get... The reason it's risky, when I talk to you about this, and the reason I think it's risky, is you're going to be tempted this morning to hear what I say through your own filters. And what do I mean by that? If I can just step on a few toes today, you're probably going to be tempted to hear what I say through your political filters, because haven't you noticed everything is politicized nowadays? You're probably going to be tempted to hear what I say through your religious filters, through your self-focused, maybe selfish filters. Come on, somebody. I'll just step on every toe in the room. So what I hope is when I preach a message on anger, honestly, I hope that you hear my heart, that I do not have an agenda. You're going to think that I do because you're going to hear what I say through your own filter. And it's either going to agree with what you already agree with or it's going to disagree and you're going to become angry with me. But just hear me out. I hope you will take me at my word that I do not have an agenda this morning. I just want to talk from a very spiritual standpoint about this emotion of anger. And so if you do get really, really angry with me, just know this message is for you personally. And I wrote this. I wrote this to make you angry. It really is. All right, so let's just do this for fun. Let's join. Those of you online, you can join us as we do this. Everybody right now, before we get into this message on anger and dealing with this very strong emotion, I want us at the outset, I want us to smile. All right, so everybody, we're going to smile together. So if you've forgotten how to smile, you take your little cheeks and you just kind of go. So everybody right now online, you can post a smile emoji or something. I don't know, but you just come on. Everybody just smile right now. I've been thinking all weekend how this moment would go. It's a little bit creepy, everybody. I just got to... I got to be honest with you. I don't like, you could stop, all right? You could just stop. You guys look like my kids when I threaten them for a photo shoot. Like you just, we take our family picture and I say, so help me if you don't smile. And that's what I'm getting back. So you can just, I thought we would smile here at the outset before we get into this, because that's the only time you might smile at me today, all right? We're going to talk about anger, what we do with our anger and how Jesus treated his anger in a way that honored God. So let's start with the same spiritual question we started anxiety with. 
that most people would ask. Honestly, most people will ask this when we talk about any emotion in general. And that is, is it a sin to be angry? So we started this with anxiety. Same thing with anger. Is it a sin? Like if I get angry, is God now angry at me because I did something to break the law? Is this, is this a sin? And the answer is very, very clear that no, it's not a sin to be angry. The Bible's clear about that. It's not a sin. Now, anger does very quickly oftentimes lead to some destructive and unproductive sinful behavior. But it's not a sin in and of itself to feel this emotion of anger. Paul wrote this in Ephesians. Watch this. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. He says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's very clear at the outset. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So in your anger, don't let it lead you to this unproductive action or something that might be destructive to your life of sin. But also, this might help some people who are angry today. Other people. We're not angry, right? But other people. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't let bitterness root itself in your heart. Don't let bitterness begin to say, anybody know somebody like that? Anybody, somebody else, anybody know? Don't let it go down. And then watch this. Do not give the devil a foothold. That word foothold in the Greek, it means a room or a place. It's translated as an opportunity. And honestly, this is the idea. If you can imagine, you're trying to, let's say, you're just trying to keep evil out of your house, but you leave like a door cracked or a window open. That would be this idea. That you would leave a foothold. You would leave a place that the devil would be able to come in to destroy what's in your house. And honestly, I think this may be why a lot of marriages are struggling. They've left a foothold for the devil to enter with some unresolved anger. Might be why a lot of friendships are maybe going down when they have strong for so many years when a little bit of anger is left unresolved. And there's bitterness that grows in our lives. It could be, if you're not careful, it could be your unrighteous anger would discredit your witness. And if we leave a foothold for the devil, suddenly we've allowed this anger or we've allowed what we've done with our anger to then torpedo the thing that we love the most or we care about the most. That we're okay, we're for people and we want to reach people, but we let our anger discredit any witness we would ever have with them. And in your unrighteous anger, you've now let people a foothold to not trust or to not believe. Unrighteous anger can lead to all kinds of sin in our lives. It says, in your anger, do not Sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. So we're going to do, we're going to actually look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, at a story about Jesus at a moment when Jesus did get angry. And we're going to see how he dealt with it. The same way we've dealt with, with compassion and grief and anxiety. We're going to look at how Jesus dealt with this moment and what he did with his anger. So Jesus entering Jerusalem at this moment, just to give you some context, he's going into Jerusalem for the Passover. And so if you don't know the Passover, every year, all of the Jews in the Roman Empire would all gather or try to, to travel to Jerusalem in order to celebrate for the Passover. And so they would just kind of crowd the city streets and they would make their sacrifices. In fact, historian Josephus said that at normal times, you'd see about forty to 60,000 Jews in Jerusalem. At the Passover, you'd have about a quarter million people who would crowd the streets. So this is a gridlock in the streets of Jerusalem. So this is Baton Rouge at 5 o'clock, everybody. This is like... Like, who are you people? Like, you don't live here. Why are you on the street? This is, this is that emotion. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Now, that's the, the historical context. Now, Jesus' mindset. This is the week of the crucifixion. He's about five days from going to the cross, and he knows it. So Jesus enters Jerusalem for the Passover. He's already got this weighing on his mind. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows he's about to go through the suffering and the beating and all the things. And the Son of God, who never sinned, has all this weighing on him, walks up to the temple. 
And what he sees breaks his heart and makes him righteously angry. Because what he sees is hypocrisy and greed and abuse of people and the misuse of his father's house. And so he's done his ministry. He's at the end now. He's about to go to the cross. His mind could be a million different places. And he walks up to the temple and he sees this happening and it fills him with this, this righteous anger. And he does something that's a little bit out of the ordinary for Jesus. And I'll tell you why it's just a little bit out of the ordinary in just a moment. We'll read it in Matthew verse 12. It says, he entered the temple courts. And in thoughts this, he drove out all who were buying and selling there. Overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling the doves. And he said, it's written. He gives them a little sermon. So he drives them out. Then he gives them a little sermon about why they're doing what's wrong. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, time out. In my holy imagination, this is actually, it it seems serious. This is actually one of the funniest moments in the Gospels in my mind. All right, everybody? So I just try to explain this to you because this is not the first time that Jesus has driven out the money changers in the temple. If you go back to John chapter 2, about three years before, as Jesus starts his ministry, he goes to the temple, he makes a whip out of cords, and he drives out the animals and the money changers out of the temples, doing this same thing, cleansing the temple at the Passover. And so in my imagination, like these guys get run out, this is like this traumatic event for the money changers, right? This is this moment. The next year at Passover... I imagine there was a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of fear as they set up their tables. Like they've got to do this thing again. And they're probably like checking over their shoulder, like thinking, is Jesus coming? Like, do we, are we ready? Portable table, we just run when he shows up. And they're probably checking. Week, year number two, they're probably a little bit more confident. Like, okay, we, we did this last year. He didn't come. Year number two, he's not running us out with a whip doing this thing. They kind of set up their tables. Year three, they're probably like, it's not going to happen. We're safe, everybody. And I could just imagine some money changer in that moment is like making a transaction and checks over his shoulder and there is Jesus. Come on, somebody. I don't care what you say. That's funny, everybody. And then he says, so this is year three. They have said it. And so he runs them out of the temple. He gives them this, sir, my house will be not a house. Of, it'll be a house of prayer, not a house of robbers. And then Matthew gives us this odd little sentence that almost feels like it's not even a part of the story. It's like we have Jesus being righteously angry, Jesus running them out of the temple. And then Matthew includes this, the very next verse, watch. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. It says Jesus is righteously angry. Jesus is flipping tables. Jesus is running people out. Jesus is giving his sermon on why what they're doing is wrong and why what they're doing is dishonoring the house of God and the Father and all these things. And then it says, and the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. It's this weird hanging sentence. It's almost like Matthew tried to like cram two stories. He just wants he wants us to know that this happened because at the very this very unusual expression for Jesus, this flipping tables, this thing he's only done a couple of times. It's at the same moment that he's healing people at the same time. So what does Jesus do? Let's just be clear this morning. He actually flipped the tables, everybody, all right? So I don't, I don't care about this, like, well, it was a conceptual idea. Jesus just, you know, he thought about it. He was angry, and so they wrote that. No, he actually went in and flipped over the tables. He actually did that. He was actually, it would honestly be easier for me to preach the sermon if he didn't. You understand? Like, from a pastoral standpoint, it'd be a lot easier to preach a sermon on anger if Jesus hadn't flipped the tables. Because honestly, a whole lot of you are flipping too many tables. It might just be... If, if we're just going to be honest with each other today, and what I want you to recognize in this is Jesus was not characterized by his anger. 
This is not like Matthew saying, yeah, this is like the fourth time this week. You know Jesus, he's just flipping tables everywhere we go. He's just getting mad. Should have seen what he did to that Pharisee who backtalked him. Jesus just hauled off. That's not what Matthew is saying. Jesus wasn't characterized by his anger in this moment. In fact, jot it down if you're taking notes. Jesus is known for his love, not for his anger. When you think about Jesus, the first thing you think about isn't, oh, that hot-headed Jesus. He's just flying off the handle again. I just flipped to anywhere in the gospel. Just find Jesus just losing his cool. Jesus of the temper. That's just what he is. That's just who he is. He's known for his love. The first thing you think about when you think about Jesus is he loved the lepers. And he touched the sick. And he healed those. And he talked to the poor and the marginalized and the downtrodden. When you think about Jesus, you think about his love. So my, my goal today is not to inspire you to go home and like flip your kitchen table, all right? And look at your spouse and say, that'll teach you to criticize my driving or whatever it is. That's not my goal today. I want you to understand this, that even in his righteous anger, Jesus is still known for his love. My goal is not that we would somehow in our anger, somehow discredit our witness, somehow ruin our relationship, somehow dishonor our God. Second thing we're going to see about Jesus' anger, watch this. Jesus wasn't angry about what others did to him. You understand this? Jesus wasn't angry about what others were saying about him. He was angry on the mistreatment of others. He was angry over the abuse of others, not the things about him. You watch this. Jesus wasn't like offended that somebody like said something mean about him. He wasn't offended that somebody like lied about him. If I can contextualize this modernly, Jesus wasn't all upset that somebody posted something mean about him. That wasn't what made Jesus so angry. Let me ask you this a question. You can answer out loud if you think this is true. Do you think Jesus was ever betrayed? It's not a trick question. Think it. Yes. The answer is yes, everybody. You think Jesus was ever lied about? Do you think Jesus was ever was ever misused or treated badly? Do you think Jesus was ever accused falsely? think Jesus was ever gossiped about? Come on, somebody. You think he was ever? And yet in every moment, that isn't what riled up the anger of Jesus. The anger of Jesus wasn't because somebody was t- talking mean about Jesus. Or Jesus. Somebody was hating on Jesus. And that's why Jesus got so excited, so angry. It never was that. Jesus got angry about the mistreatment of others. And I think sometimes when we get angry, sometimes, and it, it might just be a little bit wise to do this. I have done this many times in my life is to do a little bit of maybe introspection, a little bit of, of internal, uh, I, a little bit of inspection of what our motives are. And listen to me today. Again, I have no motive here. I have no, no hidden agenda. But I think it would be wise if we would ask ourselves the question, what is it that makes me angry? What is it in this season? And maybe it was something years ago, but right now for some reason, what is it that makes me so angry? What is it that rises this anger inside it? Because it's so easy to say, well, somebody needs to hear this message. So-and-so, man, they need to hear. Maybe we need to hear this message. Maybe we need to hear to look in our own heart and say, what makes me so angry? Where is it that you're carrying a grudge? What is it that it makes you so easily agitated? What makes you so extra critical maybe of a group of people in this season? Or maybe even a little bit hateful when you should be loving. What is that thing? You don't have to answer out loud, everybody. Probably better if you don't. But if we begin to actually look into what is it, let me be really, really clear. When someone hurts you, when they lie about you, when they gossip about you, when somebody does something to you, when they do, it's obviously very natural to get upset. It is a natural emotion to get angry. 
But the beautiful thing about the Christian walk is we serve a God of the supernatural, that we don't have to be bound just by our natural emotions. That it's very natural to get upset and to get angry, but God has called us, a supernatural God has called us to something more. And the Bible is very, very clear that for those of us as Christ followers, that when people misuse us and talk bad about us and gossip and lie and slander and do these things to us, we're not supposed to get ours. We're not supposed to get even. We're not supposed to seek revenge. We're supposed to pray and to love and to bless them. Got quiet in this church this morning. It's going to be, we need to smile again. What do we need to, we need to do? We are called as Christ's followers to do something that is not very natural. It is natural to feel this emotion of anger, but God has called us to something more. To bless and to pray for them and to forgive. Because when we look at Jesus, he wasn't angry about what people did to him, said about him. No, he was angry about people who dishonored his father's house and people who mistreated others in the name of God. That's what caused his anger inside of Jesus. And so if you don't know the details of the story, I'll just tell you a little bit about it. You have the money changers first. He upends their tables. Now, the money changers would have been the ones who would change out the currency so you would have the right currency going into the temple. Remember, they come from all over the Roman Empire and they come for Passover to the temple. And so these money changers would have been the ones that trade out your money for money you could use inside. And so if you've ever traveled internationally, this is, this is the idea of you change your money over so you can use it. Now, but the problem here is, this is like if you changed your money in the airport of the city you arrive in. Come on, somebody. Like you arrive and you just decide, I'm going to change all my money right here. If you do that, if you change your money in the airport, you are asking to be ripped off, everybody. I don't know if you know that. You are just asking for it 100%. They're going to rip you off with your eyes wide. It's just going to be amazing how much they will take from you. You get enough to get into the city and then you change your money there. This is this idea, but a hundred times worse. That they would take people's money and they would make so much just on the exchange because you had to have that just to go into the temple to purchase your sacrifice. And then scholars believe that Jesus was not only upset about that, but what he was really upset about was what they would do with the doves. And they would, you'd have to bring, when you would go in to give your sacrifice, you'd bring a pair of doves, right? You'd bring two doves into, you had to buy them there at the temple. And so I was reaching for analogy. This is like if you go to an LSU game at Tiger Stadium. Come on. And all morning long before the game, your kid just completely, your kid just promises you they are not hungry. There is no hunger inside of them. You have all this food at home. You have all the food in the fridge. And they assure you that they are not hungry. They will never be hungry. They do not want any food. They're fine. And then about the time the first whistle blows, they are filled with a ravenous hunger. And they must have one of those $25 hot dogs that they sell at the stand. You understand? You can get like eight of them for four bucks at Walmart. But they must have them right now or they will die. And you have to like trade one of your children to pay for all of the food that you are. You understand what I'm saying? This is like that, but so much worse. Because some scholars said you could buy a pair of doves on the streets of Jerusalem for about four pence. And in the temple, it'd be 75 This is what fills Jesus with rights. Because what does that do? That means the poor and the marginalized and the ones who are already at the fringes of society can't go in and to worship. Can't bring that sacrifice that they need to do. Or they're giving everything they have and they're keeping people from God. Jesus said, you shut the door of heaven in men's faces. This is what fills Jesus with this righteous anger. Why was he upset? Why was he angry? He wasn't angry over what somebody did to him. And I think we need to internalize this. It wasn't what somebody said about him. It was what people, they were doing to people who came to worship God. He's angry over the mistreatment of other people. And so he starts flipping some tables. 
Jesus starts flipping over tables. Now, this is the point of the sermon where somebody wakes up and is like, Amen, preacher. He just flipped those tables. We need to flip all that. Now, listen to me very clearly. We as Christians, as followers of God, very carefully, not led by our flesh, led by the Spirit of God. Let's be very, very wise in this moment. Because, listen, it is so easy for us. That when we get angry, when we feel so strongly about something, it is so easy for us to turn our personal preference into a religious posture. We will turn the things that we, because I am so angry about this, then it must be a righteous anger. Because I feel so strongly about this, then I can finagle and misuse and do whatever I need to do to make sure that it seems like it is righteous anger that I feel about. We do it so well as Christians. We do this so strongly because this makes me angry. Because some of you are thinking right now, well, so-and-so needs to hear this message. I just need them. I'm going to get a CD of this after service. I'm going to send it to so-and-so. I just got to let them have a... We need to hear this message. You and I need to hear this. Now, as a pastor, it just comes with the territory, all right? This is something that I have, I have just decided. It's just part of being a pastor. What will happen so many times, I get, I can't tell you how many calls I get from people who are angry and have made it a righteous anger. And so they will call me. Group A will call me with this righteous angry, righteously angry at me. Come on, somebody. Who would be angry at me? They're just righteous. Angry at me or angry at another group of people. And they will call me and say, Pastor, if you don't preach about those people, you got to tell them where they're wrong and where they're sin. And it's just righteously angry. Now, what makes me laugh the most is that sometimes within the same week, I will get a call from the other group of people. Group B. So group A will call me and then group B will call me sometimes within 24 hours. And they will call and they say, Pastor, if you don't preach about group A, then you're going to burn right along with them. Come on, somebody. You're going to be, if you don't say, and I'm just thinking, if I could take group A and group B and lock them in a room and the rest of us go to Sunday lunch. Come on, somebody. We just have a good, righteously angry, righteous thing. Listen, please hear my heart today. So many people are so interested in justifying their anger as righteous. They have forgotten to be loving. So many people have forgotten to love anybody else because they need to justify every anger they feel as righteous. Every anger they feel. As Apostle Paul who said, right now, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and being right. And the greatest of these is being right. No, no, no. What did he say? The greatest of these, right? These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But we are so quick to run to our righteous anger. To justify our perspective and our preference. Let's make sure when we are angry, we don't give way to this unrighteous anger that breeds a very destructive sin that hurts our witness and honestly damages the kingdom of God. Something we need to internalize. Our goal as Christians is to always be loving. How as followers of Christ can we be righteously angry? First of all, we're going to be known for our love, not our anger. Second thing is we're going to be angry on behalf of other people, not on behalf of ourselves. And the third thing we're going to notice, when Jesus got angry, he loved and he healed those who were hurting. I think this may hit a little bit deeper than maybe any of the other ones. Let's remember back to our story. Who was it who couldn't get to the temple? Who was it who couldn't come in? It was the poor. It was the marginalized. It was the blind. It was the sick. It was the lame. And watch this. They didn't have the resources. So Jesus didn't just flip tables. He healed and he loved those who were marginalized. 
He didn't just go in flipping tables, righteous anger, mini sermon, and I'm out. Jesus began to love the people that he was advocating on behalf of. To love those. Right there in the middle of his righteous anger, it wasn't just a table flipping moment. It was a people loving moment. And so in this moment, look at this little part that I said was kind of hanging in Matthew. He said, the blind and the lame came to him. That in the middle of his righteous anger, in the middle of his mini sermon on why what they were doing was wrong, the lame and the blind came to him at the temple and he healed them. Just a little litmus test for you, everybody, all right? When you, next time you are angry, when's the last time that you lost your cool? You blew your top, you flew off the handle, you flipped tables. When's the last time that after you did that, people were drawn to you? I'm just just being honest today. When's the last time you flew off the handle and your kids were like, right now is when we need to get as close to them as we can. Right now is when we need that. When people just came running to you, when's the last time you lost your mind in your anger and people were just like, yes, this is where we need to be. We need to be close to that person. But Jesus, as angry as he is, flipping tables, doing all that, it says the lame and the blind, the people that he loved came to him. Came to him at the temple and he healed them. If you look closely, in fact, every time in the four gospels, every time Jesus get angry, every time he healed and he loved people. You go and look at every single time he would heal and he would love people. You don't see Jesus getting angry and doing all this and then yelling at everybody in his life. You'll see Jesus doing this and then ruining all of the relationships around. You'll see Jesus getting angry and then like typing a critical post right back to him to let him know exactly what he thinks about them. No, every time he heals and he blesses and he reaches out to them. You don't see Jesus, well, bless God, nobody's going to treat me like that. I'm going to be this bad. That's not what Jesus does. What does he do? What do we do when we're angry? We love and we heal those who are hurting. We live like Jesus. How y'all doing today? We doing good? We good? All right, you with me? We'll do a little smile thing. Listen, we're done with today's story today, but there's one more step. You say, well, Ben, that's great for Jesus. I, say, I love that. That's good for Jesus. And, you know, it's good Jesus flipping tables and loving people and healing the sick and all that kind of stuff. But the person that I'm angry at did something to me. And the person that I'm upset with and angry and holding grudge, they, they said something about me. They gossiped and hurt me. They lied about me. And so what do I do with that anger? That's all great, flipping tables and helping the hurting and the sick, but this person did something mean to me. You think about Jesus for a minute. You think about who hurt him. You think about who lied about him, who actually did something against him. And I just give you a short list. There's the Pharisees. There's Pilate. There's Herod. There's Judas. There's Peter. There's the soldiers. There's the crowd that cries out to crucify him. These people that did betrayed and did those things. And Jesus didn't try to get his. Jesus didn't seek revenge. In fact, Jesus looked up and he cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. In the moment of it happening, some of us, we've had months to process it and we still won't let it go. In the moment of being crucified, Jesus looks up and says, Father, forgive them. In the moment he does this, and listen, don't, don't sidestep it. Don't try to like whitewash it. The Pharisees were wrong. Pilate was wrong. Peter was wrong. The crowds crying out, they were wrong. The soldiers were wrong. And Jesus forgave them anyway. And listen to me, whether we want to admit it or not, we were wrong. 
We were far from God. We were wrong. We were at odds with his word and with God himself. And Jesus forgave us anyway. Aren't you thankful that God has forgiven us of the sins that we have committed against him? We were as wrong as any of them and he still forgave us. And I don't know about you, but I am an example of the incredible grace and the mercy and the love of our God. That he has forgiven us of our sins, that our God, yeah, we can cut. Amazing thing that he has done. Of a God who had every right to be angry at my sin. Every right to be, and instead he poured out his anger on his son, Jesus, on the cross. The anger that should have been poured out on me. The judgment that should have been poured out on us, he poured out on Jesus at the cross. Aren't you thankful for that incredible love of the Father, the innocent Jesus, never sinned, who went to the cross to become sin once and for all, who defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave, and forgave us our sins. It's incredible what God has done, that he has washed us clean. Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 2. Watch this. He said, you were dead because of your sins. Because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all of your sins. And he canceled the record of the charges. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And so we ask, what do I do with my anger? What do I do in these moments? I run to verses like this. He says, he has canceled your debt. He has forgiven you of your sins. In this way, disarm the spiritual rulers and authorities and shame them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Who is Jesus? He's the perfect son of God. Came to earth, never sinned. Lived among us, went to the cross to die in our place. And then the Bible says he rose again. He rose again so that anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That anyone could call the name of Jesus. Listen to me, Jesus came for the sick. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sinner. He didn't come for the whole. He came for the one who needed it. He came to forgive us of our sins against God. He came to bridge the gap. That he would love us so much. He would show the love of God. And what made Jesus angry, what made him angry was anybody who separated others from the love of the Father. Anybody who kept others from running to him. So church, let's learn. Let's not be so easily offended. Let's not be known for our anger. Let's be known for our love. And then in our righteous anger on behalf of those who are being mistreated, those who need to hear about the love of God. Let's be on behalf of them. And then even in the midst of that anger, even if that's what we are called to in a righteous anger, in a season of that, let's love and let's heal those who are broken. Let's bring the love of God in every situation. So if you need to flip a table, flip the table. But never in a way that would discredit your witness. Never in a way that would call others to run from God. Always that they would say, this is the love of Christ. On behalf of others, on behalf of the mistreatment, on behalf of those that we can run to with the love of Jesus. Let's begin to be the church. Let's love those. Even in moments of anger, let's learn how we can love those who God has called us to love. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Father, I ask that you would use us to make a difference in the world. God, where it's so tempting and it's so easy, God, to let our anger take control of us. Lord. It's so easy, Father, to let it just boil over into every avenue. Let us learn, Father, 
Lord, that if it's something against us that you have called us to forgive, if it's something that's said against us that you have called us to still love, Lord, let us look, though, for ways that we can make a difference, God. If it is a righteous anger, let it be in behalf of those who are being mistreated. Lord, let us learn from your emotions, God. Jesus, let us learn from the way that you acted and the way that you taught. Lord, let us live our lives after that. And Father, help us. Lord, help us in those moments. Give us the strength, Lord. We can't do it in the natural. We ask you, Father, give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to live lives like Jesus lived. The church, keep praying. There's just a moment here. And I want to talk to those of you maybe, and you're listening to all of this and you're thinking, well, I don't even know where I stand with God. It's great to hear about emotions and anger and anxiety and all these things, but I don't even know where I stand with God. In fact, I feel like I'm as far away from God as I've ever been in my life. And I would just speak to you this morning. And I would tell you that I don't know what you've heard or what you've come through or what you've done. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is that Jesus loves you. And so I don't care what maybe an authority figure or another pastor or somebody in your life or a parent said to you. But I want you to hear this. God loves you. And God wants you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he still wants you. And so if you're listening this morning, you're saying, well, then who is Jesus? Jesus, the spotless lamb of God who came and gave his life as a sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. In place of our sins, that we would have been judged and we would have had to pay for the price for our sins and the price would have been death and eternal separation from God. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, Paul said in Colossians that now our sins have been nailed to the cross. And so if you want to be a Christ follower, you say, I accept what he did on the cross. I believe that he died for my sins and I believe that he rose again. And I believe that that is what, that I want to follow Jesus with everything I have. You have a moment right now to turn from your sin. You have a moment right now to repent of the things that you've done, to repent of your past, to leave it in the past, that God would remove it as far as the east is from the west. You have a moment right now to follow him. And we have dedicated this moment as a church that we would pray that prayer with you. Listen to me, it is a prayer of surrender and it is a prayer of promise. It's a prayer of repentance that I'm turning from the sin that I lived in and I'm turning to follow him. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to give a certain, I'm not asking you any of that right now. What Now I'm asking you if you want to follow Jesus. And you can start it right now. So come on, church, let's pray with those. If you want to make that decision, you want to repent of your sins and follow him right now, would you pray this with us? Would you say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I repent. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said, amen. And amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today?